The purpose of this activity is to expand the reach of chest content through awareness, critique, and discussion. All articles have undergone peer review for methodological rigor and audience relevance. Any views asserted are those of the speakers and are not endorsed by chest. Listeners should be aware that speakers' opinions may vary and are advised to read the full corresponding journal articles for complete context. This content should not be used as a basis for medical advice or treatment, nor should it substitute the judgment used by clinicians in the practice of evidence-based medicine. Hello and welcome to the Chess Journal Podcast, where each month we host a discussion with the authors of important articles from the current issue of the journal, adding context and commentary to the challenges facing clinicians in the fields of pulmonary, critical care, and sleep medicine. To introduce today's topic, here's your host, Dr. Dominique Pepper. On behalf of CHEST, I'd like to welcome you to this month's CHEST podcast. My name is Dominique Pepper, and I'm the host of the CHEST podcast section. Thank you all for joining us today for what will be a really interesting discussion on endobronchial ultrasound-guided transbronchial needle aspiration. Today, we are fortunate to have Dr. Yasufugu as our guest, and he authored um, a publication in CHEST entitled, A Biomarker-Based Approach for the Determination of Sample Adequacy During EBIS Transbronchial Needle Aspiration, a proof-of-concept study. And that's a pleasure to have you on the podcast with us, Dr. Yasufugu. Can you please introduce yourself? Thank you very much for having me. Um, my name is Kazu Yasufuku. I Currently, I'm the Chief of Thoracic Surgery at the Toronto General Hospital, uh, University of Toronto. Great to have you here, and uh, this is um, very important. Thank you. So go ahead. Thank you. And just just as an introduction, I'm very passionate about endobronchial ultrasound, uh, specifically EBOS DNA, was because um, I, I was fortunate to co-develop this uh, together with Olympus uh, over 20 years ago. Oh, absolute pleasure to have you here. And this is a really important topic, making sure that when we do these procedures that we actually have adequate samples to determine a diagnosis. So maybe you could go ahead and introduce to our audience why is diagnostic accuracy so important in bronchoscopy and why is sample adequacy so important? Yes, thank you very much. Um, so bronchoscopy, when we're doing bronchoscopy and specifically when we do uh, endobronchial ultrasound-guided biopsy, um, it, it's really important for the bronchoscopist um, to collect the highest, highest quality sample um, to ensure that um, we can do all the downstream analysis um, very smoothly and accurately. Um, and in order to do that, I think, um, you know, physicians and surgeons, we, we use our skills and different kinds of um, instrumentation to get, you know, the best sample. Um, but it's really not until the samples are collected and uh, evaluated under the microscope that we actually know if we have a good sample or not. Um, when we're doing EBUS DNA, um, some centers will have rapid on-site psychology where um, a psychologist or technician can look at each pass and, and tell you if you have good samples or not. Um, so this is a good method, but, um, you know, it comes with a cost. And uh, when you look around the world, not all centers 
have um, rapid onsite cytology or rose. Um, so what does that mean to our patients? It, you, you do the sample and, you know, you wait for the results without rapid onsite. And um, if the uh, samples were inadequate, it means that for patients, they would have to have another repeated procedure. Um, so I, I think having uh, some sort of a, a marker to test and see if you have um, adequate sampling is going to be very important. Definitely agrees, agree. Uh, Rose is a really important component of ensuring uh, sample adequacy. Maybe you could also comment for us on uh, standardization techniques, um, the number of samples um, you should take from a lymph node, the number of sites you should look at, the number of agitations or revolutions. Is there any guidance from that? So there has been, you know, several studies looking at um, how many passes uh, someone should do from each lymph node um, and, uh, you know, how many times you should move the needle within the lymph node. Um, but these are coming from, you know, expert centers and it's really, uh, there is no standard of how many passes you should do. Uh, what I think is more important is looking at your sample and, um, you know, trying to get the best quality sample. Um, from my experience, you know, since I've been doing this for 20 years, I can kind of eyeball uh, my sample and see if, if they look adequate or not. But for more of the unexperienced, I think it's hard to do that. Um, so there is no magical number that if you do three or four, that, you know, that's going to give you the highest yield. So that's, I think, a challenge. And also, depending on what you're sampling, what the target is, uh, that will also differ. Agree. And then maybe you could also comment on uh, the needle size. There was a lot of debate as to whether a 19-gauge versus a 21-gauge um, is better. Where does the literature um, stand on that now? So um, there there have been some um, studies that have compared the different size needles. Um, and uh, just from my experience and the studies that I've done, um, initially the first needle that came out was a 22-gauge needle, uh, and that's my uh, standard needle that I use for all my EBUS uh, TBNA cases. Uh, then the 21-gauge needle came. Um, over, um, I believe, 10 years ago, we did a study comparing 21 and 22-gauge needle, and there has been other studies. There is no difference in the diagnostic yield when you compare 21 versus 22. Um, you do tend to get more blood with a bigger needle, uh, with the 21. Then the 19-gauge came out. Um, unfortunately, the 19-gauge is bigger. It's, it's more flexible, but it, it's not a, a true core. You know, it's not like a true cut needle. Uh, you are still doing aspiration. So if you are trying to sample something that is very vascular, you will get a lot of blood. I go to the 19-gauge when you're, uh, you need really tissue, for instance, a patient with Hodgkin's lymphoma, things like that. But uh, typically, uh, I wouldn't go into 19. Now, um, from, you know, experience uh, from the cytologist, I have learned over the years that a smaller needle will give you a better quality sample. So, uh, there is also the 25-gauge needle, uh, which comes from different, um, you know, uh, companies. 
Um, 25 gauge needle, I, I believe, gives you the best quality sample uh, for, you know, for cytology. Gotcha. So uh, the importance of rows you've talked about, the importance of adequate sampling, um, and then uh, moving on to your study now, a biomarker-based approach. Maybe you could uh, tell our audience, why did you decide to perform the study? Yeah, so um, as you know, I mentioned, if you do have uh, rows in your institute when you're doing the EBUS, um, they can do the evaluation each time you do the sampling. Um, however, you know, traveling around the world uh, and talking to my colleagues, not all centers have this. Um, and uh, inadequate sampling, unfortunately, does um, occur. Um, and uh, the my motivation to this was so that um, the device can potentially, uh, re you know, replace rows um, uh, in places where they do not have uh, access to the cytologist. Okay, so let's uh, go so through your can, study method. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's go through your study methods. How did you perform your study? Uh, which biomarkers did you use, um, and how did you address any limitations of previous studies? So um, this study is really the first of its kind, as far as I, I have, you know, I've searched the literature, and uh, this is really to look at quantifying sample adequacy uh, in EBUS DNA biopsies. Um, so we wanted to make use of a uh, minimally disruptive sample for biomarker analysis, and so we collected only a small portion of the needle rinse um, solution after lymph node sampling. Uh, we looked at uh, various markers um, for sample adequacy, um, and uh, really after uh, multiple, uh, you know, experiments, we identified two lead candidate biomarkers, which is the CXCL13 and CCL21. And these markers are indicative of uh, lymphoid tissue, um, and therefore, if you do see high levels of these markers in the EBA samples, it does correlate to sufficient samples. Um, and um, after identifying these markers, um, we did validate this um, and uh, confirmed the diagnostic accuracy and compared it to um, rapid on-site cytology. So okay. that, that's how um, we came up with these markers. And then what were your key findings? Uh, did, did these biomarkers um, achieve the necessary um, uh, sample adequacy that we would need? So using this uh, biomarker approach, uh, to determine the adequacy during EVAS, we found that we were equivalent and even uh, better than um, rows. Uh, so the biomarkers had a 96% sensitivity and 86% uh, specificity for um, identification of EVAS samples. Um, so, which means that, you know, um, really it, this, these markers probably will help um, clinicians, especially when they don't have um, rows. 
And when did you get the results back? Uh, while performing the uh, bronchoscopy or biopsy, uh, we want to know that the sample is adequate during the procedure, which is why ROSE is so valuable. Um, I understand this is a proof of concept study, um, but did you get the results yeah. back a couple of days later? Or do you, and if not, um, if you only got it a couple of days later, do you think there's a way to expedite uh, getting these results during the procedure? And so this is really, um, you know, we're testing this in the laboratory, so it does take a few days. Um, but what we're working on um, is to come up with a platform, you know, a rapid diagnostic platform that can analyze these biomarkers in uh, less than five minutes. Um, so imagine you do the EBUS uh, tDNA and you take a small portion of your aspirate and put it on this device, and it'll give you an answer uh, in less than five minutes. So that that that's our goal right now. Gotcha. And how do you think this would com uh, compare to other technologies that are out there where during the procedure using a bronchoscope, they can actually look at the lesion uh, during the bronchoscope and see that it looks different compared to normal airway tissue and that it's suspicious for um, uh, cancer or uh, a, a non-normal um, uh, lung tissue and that it should be sampled? So, uh, this, you know, this um, the marker that we looked at is specifically for this study um, is for uh, lymph nodes. So we're targeting um, lymph nodes uh, that we visualize with the endobronchial ultrasound. And we all know that uh, you can use the B-mode to look at the ultrasound imaging, and you can kind of tell if a lymph node looks metastatic or not. Um, of course, you have the pre-procedural uh, imaging, including CT and PET scan, that also helps out. There's other, um, for instance, elastography uh, and other sorts of imaging that will kind of lead you to um, whether you're going to biopsy the lymph node or not. Um, but these are only imaging, and I, I think having um, a marker um, after you do the biopsy is going to help. Now, having said that, in this paper, we didn't really talk about the actual cancer or not. Um, we, we have those markers. Um, we have identified markers that will also um, identify if, if the sample has cancer or not. So that's also coming. So your question about, you know, endobronchial lesions, um, you take a biopsy, uh, you, you can, you know, potentially in the future um, put it on a device and it will tell you, one, you know, is it adequate? And two, is it a cancer or not? So that's that's something that we're also working on. So what are the next steps for you, uh, Dr. Yasufugu? Um, how do you see... Um, uh, this technology or this biomarker-based approach advancing in the next couple of years, um, how soon do you think um, it would be ready uh, for the real world, um, and how uh, promising is it? Um, so thank you for asking. So we're looking at expanding our experience. Um, this is only in a single center, so obviously we'll have to uh, do a multi-center study. And we're looking at, you know, um, making device and um, potentially a device that anyone can use and also commercialization. So 
uh, we, we have to move fast. And I, I think, you know, I'm, I'm hoping in the next few years uh, we will have uh, some sort of a kind of a, a prototype product that we can start testing um, the samples. Gotcha. So there are no perfect studies, um, and we definitely want our listeners to be cognizant of any limitations that were in your study. What limitations did you identify in your study, and how will these limitations advance our study, our further uh, studies, um, and how should investigators address the limitations that you had in your study? So, um, you know, this study is uh, really only looking at the samples that we took at our institute. And I must say we are, you know, we, we've been doing this for a long time. And um, so that is the limitation that it's only been done uh, in our institute. So uh, we'll need to look at a larger um, cohort across multiple institutions. Um, and because the, for the current um, study, we were actually uh, – Measuring everything in the laboratory, it was not like an on-site uh, rapid platform. Um, but you know that that is something that, I, I, as I mentioned, we're working on uh, a rapid platform that can actually analyze uh, these markers, um, ideally in less than five minutes, um, so that we can actually translate um, our lab findings into the clinic. So that's my goal. Yeah, I think that's a really important goal, the, the fact that we could get um, a diagnostic test or biomarker test to tell us, you know what, we do have adequate sample, we're going to be able to make a diagnosis and that we're in the right place uh, at the right time. Um, Dr. Yasufu, you've been very kind with your time and I appreciate um, you sharing your study with us. I do want to give you um, a final opportunity to summarize the key findings of your study and leave our audience with any uh, concluding remarks. Thank you. Um, so, uh, EBUS DNA has really um, changed the field of uh, bronchology and interventional pulmonary. I, I think it has um, become the standard for um, invasive BDS-final staging, especially for patients with lung cancer. I think the problem is that, um, you know, sample adequacy and uh, not all centers have um, access to rows, um, and you know it, it's very hard to um, actually set up rows when you do not have support from the hospital uh, for various reasons. So um, I, I'm hoping that um, this um, study will lead to um, a product, uh, a rapid uh, diagnostic platform. You know, just like. Uh, what we're used to, the COVID testing and things like that, the pregnancy test, uh, where it will actually help clinicians um, during their um, EBUS DBNA, which, uh, you know, eventually is going to uh, benefit many patients around the world. So that, that is my hope. Uh, we will continue to uh, push this um, forward. Definitely. And uh, sometimes we think in terms of either or, you know, either we have rows or either we have this biomarker-based approach. Do you think it's possible that uh, we may actually have both? We're using both rapid on-site as well as this biomarker approach? I think that that is also a possibility. 
Um, and um, it, it's just a, it will just be a toolkit for um, clinicians to have. Um, and, um, you know, it doesn't mean they have to use it all the time. Uh, sometimes they may want to use those and sometimes they can use this. So um, I, I think it will just be another tool to have for uh, clinicians. Oh, thank you very much, uh, Dr. Yusuf. It's been a really great conversation, and uh, thank you so much for you and your team for advancing the field of uh, bronchology and addressing this issue of um, sometimes we don't have rows and what other options are available. Um, kudos to you and your team, um, and thank you to our chess community uh, for joining us. I'm Dominic Pepper, and this is a chess podcast. <laughs>